Good morning, unfortunately uh, Sunday's sermon didn't record and so I'm sat here in the church office re-recording it. Um, on Sunday we were looking at Ephesians chapter 4, um, verse 10 through to verse 16. In Genesis 3, uh, sometimes called the fall, a, a pivotal chapter in the Bible, the world is blown apart, the world breaks. God had made the world good and very good. He had made man and woman to, to live in it and to look after it. And they are to do that under God's loving, freeing, generous rule. But they say, we want your stuff, we don't want you. And as they do that, two relevant things for this morning happen. The first thing that happens is that God's rule over his people has gone. That is, his good word is removed. What they thought were shackles are thrown away and they think they are liberated. They think they're free. The second thing that happens at that point is that community is broken. This, this vertical rebellion has horizontal implications. And so in comes war. Humanity at war with each other. Arguments on a Tuesday in your house. Bombing on a Wednesday on the news. War is here. And yet the message of Paul to the church in Ephesus, this, this letter that contains our verses for this morning, the message there is that the church is God putting things right again. So glance back with me to, to 1 verse 10 and we can learn where it's all going. Ephesians 1.10, where's the world going? It's well, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head even Christ. One day, all things in all of creation united under Jesus. The church now shows us what it will be like then. Jesus is head of the church now. One day, all the world will bow the knee to him as its head. So the church is God's plan for the world. It's a glimpse of the future. It's rather like a show home on a building site, you, you walk through the muddy, chaotic, messy sites and you take your shoes off and you walk into the show home and it's immaculate. Perfectly designed, lovely carpets, beautiful decor, mood lighting. It's a glimpse of the future. It shows everyone what will be, what it will look like. And we say, but we're not show home standards. And Paul knows that. We're not finished yet, but there's, there's enough to see what's coming. There's just, just a glimpse. Because one of Paul's bigger points in Ephesians, and this chapter in particular, is that the church is the place where God's word and God's rule is put back over us again. And it's a place where we are reunited with each other. Again, it's, it's Genesis 3 on its head. We're a show home on a building site. We're showing everyone what will be. And chapter 4 deals with both of those problems. One, uh, verses 1 to 6, we're not going to focus on it particularly. Um, but you see there the importance of unity, a, a reunited humanity. We're to show what the cross has done. We're to battle for unity by, by verse 2, by being humble and gentle, by loving each other. And as we do that, verse 1, well then we are living out the calling you've received. 
you show the world the unity that the cross has achieved. And so then verse 7 to the end of the chapter, I take it the focus shifts onto the importance of God's word being over a reunited people again. In fact, as God's word is over his people, that is how he matures and grows and shapes us as a body in unity together. Before we dive into the verses, I want to say Ephesians in general and this chapter in particular have been hugely influential in how I do ministry. I guess convictions that I have about how churches function. And so I hope the next few minutes or so will encourage you and challenge you and build you up, capture your imagination, excite you, but I hope as well to give you something of a window into me, they're, they're a laying of at least some of my cards on the table, these, these are things that make me tick. So let's look at them together, I think there are two principles to hang the ideas on as we begin. Uh, the first one is that the healthy church ministry is all about Jesus. And the second one is that a healthy church ministry is all about everyone. So firstly, it's all about Jesus. I was hugely encouraged a few weeks ago at Grace Church in Birmingham, my previous church, where one of my colleagues told me of a conversation he had had with a man visiting us one Sunday morning. I don't think this visitor would call himself a Christian. Um, But his comment was he believed in God and yet he was struck by how much people kept on going on about Jesus. Now I say that not at all to to blow our own trumpet. Grace Church uh, very much remains a work in progress but it's such an encouragement that something had got through. Because being a Christian, being a healthy church in lots of ways is all about a person. It's not ticking a set of doctrinal boxes although doctrine is important. It's not doing certain things, although our love for Jesus will cause us to be active. It's not even knowing the Bible well. The Pharisees were great at that, but they missed who it was all about. It's all about a person. So look at our verses for this morning again, and notice with me how utterly integral Jesus is at every step. Without him it all falls to pieces. We're going to jump in at verse 10. Paul's argument starts really with the fact that Jesus, verse 10, fills the whole universe. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Now I take it that's not a sort of weird Jedi force type thing, but he he fills the whole universe because he rules over everything. It all comes under his jurisdiction. Every inch. You saw that after Easter on the mountain in Galilee, that when he conquers sin and death, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. That is, that is, he is really reigning now. He's higher than the heavens. And the plan is that his kingdom will grow. More people trusting him for the first time. More people trusting him to a deeper level. His kingdom is not static. His reach is not limited. It is growing. And yet we say, well, well, how's that going to happen? 
How will his kingdom grow in East Oxford, in this area? Well, from verse 11 to 16, I think we see this. I think we see that Jesus is the head who equips his people with gifts to grow his body, to become more like him. I'll say it again. Jesus is the head who equips his people with gifts to grow his body, to become more like him. Every step of the way, it's all about him. And so through the church, his rule, his kingdom is extended. So firstly, he's the head of the church. That is, he's the one in charge. You see that there in verse 15. And in fact, if we'd been reading right through the letter to the Ephesian church, that wouldn't be news for us. We'd already have seen it, for example, in 1 verse 22. And God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him as head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So it's not an elder or a pastor or a bishop or an archbishop, but Jesus is the head of his church. Any authority that church leaders have is a delegated authority from Jesus. He's the head. But secondly, he's not only the head, he's the one who equips his people with gifts. Have a look at verse 11 to 12. So, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, we could talk lots about them. But for now, just notice that the people outlined in verse 11 have have similarities and they have differences. Now, the similarities are that they are each word gifts. That is, gifts where where speaking and explaining the Bible is high up on your to-do list. And, you know, we shouldn't be surprised at that. We shouldn't be surprised because, do you remember, the church is the place where God is ruling his people again, where his gracious, loving rule is seen. And it's seen as he speaks to us through his word. We also shouldn't be surprised because it's his job that we're doing. Now, if I were to ask my children to go and cook dinner for us, you can imagine it would be utter chaos. Perhaps as you get to know them better over the next few weeks, you'll see that even more clearly. Um, But you'll find Ellie, our our oldest, she no doubt would include lots of vegetables and lots of fruit, partly because she loves them, uh, but partly because she's been told by school that that is what you need to eat every day. Almost certainly it'll be raw. Barney Our middle son would no doubt use the oven because it's exciting and it's dangerous and you get fish fingers out of it. And Josh, the little one, would probably make do with yoghurt or pears or lollipops. And there would be squabbles over what you would choose to do when they would do it. Who would lay the table? Who would sit where? But if I were to say, kids, here's what we want you to cook... It's beans on toast. And Ellie, you're good with a tin opener and a microwave, just about. Barney, you're okay with the toaster, just about. Josh, you get the plastic cutlery, and please be careful. Then you'll see that it works. 
whilst so our head, Jesus, tells us what to do, what he wants us to do to make his kingdom grow. And he does that through his word and through word ministries equipping us, showing us how we're to do it. He gives gifts to enable that. So there are, there are similarities in verse 11 between the different gifts there. There are also differences though. I take it if you track back through the letter, you'll see, especially in places like 2 verse 20 and 3 verse 5, you'll see that the apostles and the prophets are what we might call foundational gifts. Uh, foundational in the church being born. And so evangelists and pastor teachers are more everyday type gifts. Evangelists, those who proclaim the evangel, the good news. Pastor teachers, those who pastor by teaching. Being a pastor is not just about cups of tea and hugs at all. It's open Bible. It's Jesus focused. You pastor people by teaching them. So Jesus is the head. He's the one who equips his people with gifts. And thirdly, it's to grow his body. That's there in verse 12. You see it says that the body of Christ may be built up. Or again in verse 15, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. The church is his body. It's the means by which he gets things done on earth. And yet fourthly, we're also to know that he is the focus. Jesus is the end game, if you like. Look at verse 13, especially to see where it's all going as His word does its work as his rule is extended. Verse 13 with me. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Do you see the three things there in verse 13? Week by week, opening the Bible, God's word being back over us means that we move towards Jesus-focused maturity. So the three things. Firstly, it's about unity. That's a corporate thing. Not just a bunch of competitive lone rangers looking to be the best, uh, but, but growing together. Secondly, it's about knowing Christ better. You see, in the knowledge of the Son of God. That's not just knowing about him, information or brain type stuff, but, but knowing him. It's a real relationship. It's heart type stuff. And thirdly as well, it's about corporate grown up maturity that means we as a body faithfully and clearly show the world what Jesus is like with increasing clarity. I think that's what's going on in the last bit of verse 13. It's like a mirror where we're more and more accurately looking to reflect him to those looking in on Christian things. So church is about Jesus and all about Jesus. He's the head, he's the one we submit to. He equips, he's the one we rely on. It's his body. We serve as part of his body. And he's the goal for us, he's our focus, he's our aim, he's our direction. He is what maturity looks like. It's not about you and it's not about me. It's about him. Now, how do these truths impact on how we 
we think about church, how we do church. Well, I think in a, in a multiple ways. Here are just a few that struck me as I've prayed and prepared for this. First thing to say is it's not about Magdalen Road, or it's not about Peter Comont, it's not about me, and it's not about you. It's all about him. It's about Jesus' fame, his kingdom growing. His head, his gifts, his body, his maturity. And we live in a, in a culture of celebrity and being a Christian sadly doesn't inoculate us to that. Too easily, too easily we, we want to become the star. Now different types of churches value different gifts and so different individuals who have the desired gift for that church are, are pedestaled. But it's about the one who gave the gifts. It's not the gifts themselves or those who have the gifts. It's the gift giver. Please, as I begin working at Magdalen Road, and it's a real privilege to be here, please pray for me. Please pray for Peter. Please pray perhaps for anyone who has the privilege to lead here that we would only want you to see Jesus. That we wouldn't want you to see us. Please forget about us. Please remember him. Church is all about him. Following on from that notice, secondly, though, the importance of the Bible, of God's word being back over his people again. There are lots of voices out there, lots of messages that we, that we encounter each day and, and we're not sure sometimes who to listen to. We're not sure who to trust. Trust him. Trust him even when it's hard. Trust what he says. We're to be a community who love to be told what to do because we love to hear what God says about extending the reach of his son, about growing his kingdom. Thirdly, the other thing that jumps out for me particularly is that maturity, the end goal for the church, is being like Jesus. And that's striking because I can easily get muddled on that. Easily we can think maturity in church is about success or slickness or professionalism or eloquence, having all the right answers. We can, we can think maturity is about age. But no, a mature church is one that is Christ-like with his character, his priorities, his values, his motivations, etc., etc., it's about people looking at Magdalen Road Church and seeing a glimpse of Jesus. Seeing a body that is Christ-like. So, firstly, it's all about Jesus. Secondly, it's all about everyone. So, stretch the illustration with me. Um, it's not me asking the kids to cook for us, but it's a family meal around at our place. And... And we're having lasagna, and there's salad, and for afters we're having rice pudding, and everyone's involved. And some people are chopping onions and tomatoes, and some people are cooking mints. Some have the job of layering the lasagna, lots of layers. Some are making cheese sauce, some are doing the salad, some are making the rice pudding. Others are laying the table and they're finding chairs, and they are choosing the music. And some are folding napkins and filling jugs with squash and some are washing up afterwards. And everyone's chipping in. 
Everyone's involved. And that's, that's a bit like what happens in church. And where it goes wrong is when someone says, well, well, where's the waiter in here? Uh, the service is awful. <coughs> My fork is a bit dirty. Please, please get me a new one. Church, church is a family meal. It's not a restaurant where we, where we rock up and we get what we want and off we go and we come back next week and we do the same and then the week after and the week after. I just have to say, when I left Oxford as an 18-year-old, a number of years ago, I headed up to Birmingham and for me it was far too much about the restaurant mindset, about what can I get out of this, how can you serve me? As a student, I'm sad to say, I hopped churches when needs weren't met. Sunday was restaurant day. And if the service was poor that week, or the food was slightly burnt, metaphorically, then we'll just try another one. Or I'd be away for weekend after weekend, or I'd oversleep because I'd been to the cinema the night before, or no one really told me it was about being part of a family. I was too selfish to think that they might need me, and I was too proud to think that I might need them. I didn't realise God had given me stuff to do. I'm sad about that. I look back and think of years, perhaps wasted, being part of the body of Christ. But again, you look at the passage and you'll see, I guess you see how far off I was. So we've said that, remember, God's word is over his people again. He's given us word ministers, verse 11. But notice verse 15, we're all to be word ministers. You see, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. That is, that is, we need a culture in church where we all speak to one another. Speaking the truth in love is not, uh, you know, I'm not sure those trousers really suit you. Or, or maybe you should try a different colour. I think you're more of an autumn. No, I take it the truth here is the truth of the gospel. And so it's lovingly helping one another to apply the gospel to our lives, to, to every little bit of our lives, to every nook and cranny. When we're feeling low on a Thursday because we're struggling at work, it's reminding each other that Jesus is enough. His death and his resurrection in your place gives you real value and worth and identity. And if your boss is mean, then, then you can trust Jesus. When we're suffering on a Thursday and aware that our body is falling apart, it's reminding each other that Jesus was raised and he will come back and the new creation, broken bodies, will be a a distant memory. Maybe when we're sinful uh, and we're lacking patience on Saturday, it's reminding one another of God's extraordinary patience with us, his graciousness, his generosity. Not as a kind of, you know, chin up, it'll all be alright, but, but really helping one another to live these things out that we believe. Not just abstract truths, but every second reality. Having the kind of real, vulnerable, speaking the truth in love relationships, whereby these kinds of conversations are normal. A culture where we know we're loved and so it's good and it's right to encourage one another. But it's also good and right to rebuke and admonish one another. Because we know we're loved. 
I've heard it before explained rather like a drinks machine. So you put your pound in and you whack it and you whack it and you whack it until it drops and out comes the can. And so it's like us with the gospel. The truth about Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. The truth about the gospel means we need to keep helping each other understand what it means. We whack it and whack it and whack it until it drops and we see how that impacts to that moment of the week. To each meeting in the diary, each time we spend money, each time we find life hard, what does the gospel say to that situation? So we're all to be speakers, hundreds of conversations each week going on between the family around the table. That takes a humility to speak and to be spoken to. It takes real love to do it well, to check our motives, that there's no room for one-upmanship, no room for putting people in their place or power plays. But it's about loving them, about wanting the very, very best for them. Everyone's involved. And as we do that, well, well, then we grow in maturity. Then we grow together. Remember 2 verse 12, we're equipped to serve one another. And as we do that, then it's unity in the faith. It's becoming mature. It's becoming a mature man. It puts it in verse 13, literally. That's not sexist. It's pointing to to the unity again. It's like a single, unified, mature person. We are a body together. And he spells out what we're not like too. Where the mature man in verse 13 is singular, unified, corporate. While the sign of immaturity in verse 14 is plural, it's infants. It's the wobbly lone range of Christians blown this way and that like an airbed on the ocean. Picked off as they aren't really functioning as part of the body. Perhaps they've kept others at a distance. Perhaps they've, kept, perhaps they've kept themselves on the fringe. And so they're picked off and blown away. Ministry is about everyone. Again, as we finish, just a couple of thoughts. For this aspect, this it's all about everyone aspect. And how that might relate to what church looks like. Again, there are loads. You could spend hours. Here are just two. The first one to say is that we all need to grow and we need each other to do that. Now I'm struck by the fact that a healthy local church is always changing and evolving and developing. Jesus' body is a living, spirit-filled entity which means as his rule is extended then growth happens. And that means for those of us who like things to be manageable or predictable or perhaps to be just like it used to be, then that's an issue. We as Christians should expect to be growing, growing in in verse 13 type ways, all of us growing in the knowledge of Jesus, in Christ-likeness, in unity, in maturity. And if if when we look back over the last few years and we think that we might be perhaps stagnating 
And I say this humbly and I say it to myself too, but and I wonder if that means there's a problem. I think it means that in some way the body's not working quite right. It's not functioning as it ought to. Maybe we're not speaking or being spoken to. Maybe we're not serving. Maybe we're, we're keeping people at arm's length. Something, something's not quite right though. Because Paul expects there to be growth in maturity. I take it if we don't see that in ourselves or in a church, then, then we don't beat ourselves up over it, or we don't give up, but we speak the truth to one another in love again. It's hear the gospel again. It's apply the gospel to your life again. Jesus is risen and ascended and exalted, and he gives you all you need. He's rescued you. He's equipped you. He'll grow you. It's not about you, it's about him. The second application that kind of jumps is is that we all need you. We all need you. Now I can come in quite blind on this. I don't know many of you that well. I don't know your backgrounds or your quirks, your history, your foibles, your personalities, your idiosyncrasies, your eccentricities. But I do know that everyone is weaker without you. We are weaker without you serving and speaking. Because that's how Jesus made his body. Works of service for everyone. Speaking the truth in love is for everyone. I see you might be 15 or you might be 105. But everyone is weaker without you. Everyone else's growth is your business. Everyone else's growth is your business. Now it might be that you're new here. I want to say to you, please take time to fit in. Please get to know people. Uh, Please join. Please become a member. Then the rest of the body know that you're sticking around. You're committed to the family. But do serve. Do do use the gifts that you've been given for the rest of the body. Join join in with the meal. Chop onions. Do the salad. Lay the table. It might be that you're aware that your default setting can easily be can easily be to slip into that restaurant mentality. I wonder whether actually that is our default setting for many of us in these sinful, selfish bodies. So I'd urge you again to be aware of that, but please get stuck in. Please clear the table, mop the floor. It might be you look around and you say, but they are just much, much better at it than me. Or maybe they, you look around you and you say, but they are just much better than me at it. Yeah, they're probably not. Or it might be that they're exhausted, they're on their last legs, they could do with a break. It might be that they could train you up. We all need you. We all need you to serve and to speak. Probably you've been here for a while and you're just not sure where you fit in. I'd like to say to you, grab someone who who knows you and who loves you and ask them. Ask them where are your strengths, where are your gifts? Uh, Where could you serve in church? I want to say as well, for those of us that you kindly employ, and I guess you're well aware for Peter, by now you're aware for me, uh, we are imperfect. 
We can't do it all. Some churches have an, an all singing, all dancing, kind of all juggling pastor, but that's not how God made the church. He made it so we're all parts of the body, we're all ministers, we're all necessary for doing different things. Why? Well, because the risen Jesus ascended, exalted, he wants his body to grow. He wants his rule to be extended in East Oxford and beyond. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your church is all about Jesus. Thank you that he is the head of the church. Thank you that he equips us. Thank you that it's his body. I thank you that he's the focus for our maturity. And I thank you too that you make your church in such a way that we're all involved, we're all needed. You give each of us gifts so that we can serve one another and help each other to grow. Well, we pray that for this church, that Magdalen Road Church, would be a healthy church. We pray that we might extend the kingdom of Christ as he equips us. In his name we pray. Amen.